Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Liverpool Breakdown on the Sports Zone podcast. Today, we break down the Merseyside derby, Liverpool, Everton and Anfield, 12.30pm kickoff post-international break but before we get into the breakdown let's let's end a little bit of housekeeping um my sincere apologies for the pod fade as you may call it the the lack of podcast episodes um if i'm being honest i have made detailed notes for every single loophole game this 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 season so uh, technically if i could have dedicated myself for one more hour um i could have got a podcast out for each episode but it's just the scheduling in and around games, I don't like recording these podcasts two to three days after the game because I feel like the hype around the game has died down. I like to record it within uh, the next day or at least two days max. Um, so with some other commitments that have come around, it just became a bit more difficult. But the attempt is to get this regular game by game um, and the main sports zone podcast to be regular week by week. Anyways, let's get into this game. Um, so I think let's let's contextualize what I, what I thought about this game um, before we actually break down what happened. Everton under Sean Dyche are quite a direct, quite a transitional, and, and and quite a long board dependent team, and that is pretty normal for any Sean Dyche side. They have a, a pretty a pretty sturdy low to mid block. It's not as low of a block as. Um, as he had with Burnley, the line is a bit higher, 100%, and then there is a bit more pressing going on, just because I think the individuals are actually um, quite skilled, like Onana is, is great for Everton, um, in, um, I, I think James Garner, they have a very good player as well, Brathwaite obviously, um, as, as a centre-back, so yeah, uh, I think for Liverpool, the, the key was going to be in the midfield. How do they handle that counter-press? How do they handle that press to ensure that Everton don't get these transitional attacks away? To ensure that Liverpool keep winning the ball back inside Everton's home half and pester that mid-block that they have, pester that sturdy sort of defensive structure that they have, relentless wave of attack after attack. I thought that's what the key of the game was going to be. And just because they're so direct and they're so long ball dependent and they're going to the head of, of Dominic Calvert-Lewin with uh, Abdullah Decore right behind them as sort of a second forward or a supporting forward, if you want to call it. I, I thought the centre-backs to Liverpool were going to be key. I was very interested to see who Jurgen Klopp was going to start. Was it going to be Ibrahim Kanate or was it going to be Joel Matip? Um, I, as I wrote in, in my technical preview for Last Word of Sports, which I will link, I will link all my pieces down there because I, I always write a preview for the game um, on that website and then I obviously review the game on, on this podcast. Um, I said it should be Konate because um, I thought Trent Alexander-Arnold, as always, was going to have a major attacking role and Everton liked to exploit the, the wings through their fullbacks to get the crosses in. And just because they're so transitional and direct, I definitely thought they'll be looking to exploit space. Um, and because they're also so airily, um, airily dominant at times, I just thought the physicality, the size, and the speed of Kanate was what what was going to sort of get him that start. In the end, it did get him that start. Um, but yeah, I thought those two, how they handled uh, Calvert Lewin and Dekure, were going to be key. That's the way I looked at the game leading into it. Now let's actually look at what happened in the game. In terms of the press and the counter press, I thought it actually worked pretty well for Liverpool. Um, I think people underrate how much of a workhorse, how good the work rate, and how good the pressing power of Dominic Sobersly is. 
Yes, he's grown up in Red Bull systems. Yes, Leipzig has hailed him as one of the great pressers um, and one of the hardest workers they've seen. Yes, he's shown unbelievable work rate, especially in that Tottenham game. But he actually stops counterattacks because he reads the play so well that he gets his shadow marking is brilliant, essentially. Um, and I thought that was a major part of Liverpool's press slash counter press working really well yesterday because at a stage they kept um, coming at Everton. Um, and it became pretty pretty difficult for Everton to cope with the running power of Liverpool. I was also particularly impressed with Alexis McAllister in, in the press yesterday. I thought he was much more organised in the press. I thought in build-up he still showed a, a bit of shakiness. He still made a few one-off mistakes, which are a bit uncharacteristic of McAllister. Um, and I guess to discuss McAllister further, the main sort of double-edged sword with Alexis McAllister right now is... Are we getting the most out of him? Is is a Liverpool coaching staff, is the organisation of Liverpool getting the most out of Alexis McAllister's player profile? Because he is so splendid attacking. We saw that in the entire break with Argentina. That goal he scored was outrageous. Obviously, when he's playing with the number six with Liverpool, he is what facilitating a lot of out of possession control, a lot of pressing. To be fair, any midfielder is, regardless of where you play. And he's facilitating a lot of build up play. He's not. For example, the man who's threading the needles. He's not the, the, the creative mastermind that Dominic Sobersly is or, or sort of the impact that Harvey Elliott makes off the bench. That's not like Alexis McAllister's role. Um, so then are you getting the best out of him? To an extent, you're probably going to say no, because I, and I, I agree with that, because he is more of an advanced player. But I think you're also maximizing his versatility. And the argument I make is that Alexis McAllister, out of Soboslai, out of Gravenberch, out of Endo, um, uh, out of Harvey Elliott, out of Curtis Jones, is, in my opinion, the best controller they have. I think Wataru Endo might be the best duel winner, but he can't control the game in midfield with the technical prowess he has. Sh- uh, press resistance, um, passes into players, um, lo- switches, long balls, um, just evading defenders. Endo can't do that. So McAllister can do that. While Endo may be a superior duel winner, which I agree with, um, McAllister gives you that in the number six position. And then he can give you the added attacking bonus, which I think Liverpool got a bit more out of him yesterday in that sense, which which we will discuss. Um, but yeah, I, I thought he improved much more um, in regards to how he operated in the press. Obviously, the major story of the, of the first half was Liverpool in transition um, and how great they looked in transition and the amount of transitions they had and it's it's so paradoxical to be honest and it's, it's a trend that Lupo have shown probably for a while under Jurgen Klopp but especially in the last last two seasons they are a pretty good transitional side for for a team that likes to play a lot of possession football with a very high press and it, it makes complete sense that their profiles are completely suited to playing that transition style of football when when the opportunity presents itself. Luis Diaz is quick, direct, run, loves running at the defenders. Salah is so nifty with his footwork, rapid. Darwin Nunez, physical, very hard to defend, but super rapid, awkward to defend. Diego Jota, he Diego Jota, in my opinion, he had a great game with his dribbling yesterday. And he's dribbling, he's just so good at using his body angles. It's so hard to stop him. Dominic Sabasai, workhorse. Trent Alexander-Arnold, great vision. He can send you through on goal amazingly. Alexis McAllister, similar. Saw that yesterday with that second goal, that sort of pass to Nunez, um, which got him through. So it makes complete sense that Liverpool are, are great transitionally. Um, and they were great transitionally yesterday as well, particularly off the set pieces of Everton. 
and I was a bit surprised that Everton weren't sort of um, aware of this possibility. Or maybe they were aware, or at least they weren't set up for this possibility. Because I, I, I really couldn't see if they had any concrete rest defense principles off the set piece. They had two men back, but with the pace and amount of bodies that Liverpool are able to get forward on the transition, they were able to feast in those transitions. And it was just a shame that, to be fair, Liverpool couldn't capitalize. And Jurgen Klopp said the same thing in his, in his post-match interview, that the final pass was lacking. They had three to four golden counter-striking opportunities. you got to score at least one out of those. Um, and Everton were lucky to sort of um, not get, yeah, not um, concede one out of those. But yeah, I'm sort of, Coming back to Everton's block or, or the outer possession structure, it was a, a 4-4-2, um, low to mid-block. It wasn't incredibly low in the first half um, when they had 11 men. When they had 10 men, obviously became way lower. Um, and um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Abdoulaye Decore, they marked Liverpool's two midfielders in, in build-up, so usually it would be McAllister and Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, the main issue that I think Everton found, and I, I thought Liverpool were pretty pretty clever and I, I thought the coaching staff had a pretty clever game game plan um in trying to break down Everton's block was that Everton were quite narrow and they were easy to stretch out wide with overlaps such switches so the way I, I, I like to always think of a low block or just a sturdy block because I, I don't necessarily think the 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 words low block is it's completely accurate for what Everton what Sean Dyche is doing with Everton with eleven men on paper, with ten men, it was a low block. It was a it was a derogatory low block. It was it was very low, um, but with eleven men, I I don't think it necessarily was a low block. But yeah, I think it's a sturdy defensive structure. It becomes very hard to play through a sturdy defensive structure just because they're so compact. So then there's many options. You have to go in, in I guess uh, side to side and and find the space, or you can go over them and I guess by extension, in behind them. And that's what Liverpool were looking to do. They were looking to essentially stretch um, the block and then go in behind them. And how were they able to stretch it? Switches out to Mo Salah, switches out to Luis Diaz. And that what would happen? The left back and the right back would then have to go wide to sort of defend Salah and Diaz because initially they weren't marked because, as I said, the structure was quite narrow. And now when Salah and Diaz are being marked, there comes the overlapping run of Trent There comes the overlapping run of Kostas Simikas. There comes the overlapping run of Dominic Serbslay. There comes the overlapping run of Diogo Jota with Ryan Gravenbush then going into the box. There's a lot there to contend with all of a sudden. This could have been even, even more effective if Everton weren't up for it. Um, their, um, their, lef- their, their left back, um, sorry, the, the mind escapes me, the Ukrainian defender, he was brilliant. On, on one-on-one isolation play against Mo Salah, he was brilliant. He was great. Um, but the reason they went to 10 men is because Ashley Young, in isolation, wasn't similarly composed against Luis Diaz uh, as a Ukrainian defender was, and led to his red card. So was Liverpool's approach good? Yes, I thought it was clever. It was a great way of trying to break down that Everton sturdy defensive structure. Another thing that I was impressed by with Liverpool was sort of, I, I, thought, I thought we saw a bit more of an advancement, a bit more of a tactical advancement, just a bit more tactical versatility in their build-up pattern. And I think that's been Liverpool's main issue attacking-wise this season. It's just been their build-up. It's just been they're so direct. The distances are so long sometimes that they're losing the ball and they're not having that control over games that they would um, in their prime. 
yesterday I, I, I thought they obviously yesterday they're bound to have midfield control because I, I think Everton were never looking to get that midfield control because they're so direct and transitional but also they went out to 10 men so Liverpool were obviously then going to have midfield control for the remainder of the game but yeah as the season has grown I think Klopp has clearly realized what's what's worked and sort of what hasn't in build-up um so to analyze the Liverpool build-up traditionally or sort of what we've seen for um the, the major parts of the season it's a 2-2 it's Van Dijk, Canate, McAllister, Trent, um, with Robertson or Simicast in this case usually taking up a bit of a wider position, not quite a third centre back, a bit of a wider position, um, and Trent as an obviously inverting and supporting McAllister. But what they're starting to do now is that, and I, I think we saw this in the was it the Aston Villa game. Yeah, I think it might have been the Aston Villa game. Trent is starting to receive the ball outside the block, and this is very clever, and this is, in fact, what it should always be like. Obviously, you've got to wear it, vary it up at times, um, but the reason Trent Alexander-Arnold receiving outside the block is so effective... Um, actually, before I go into explain that, uh, let me explain what receiving outside the block means. So what do we say Everton's front two block was? It was Abdullah Dekure and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, essentially shadow-marking the two midfielders behind them. So that's the block. And then behind them, they have the, the zone of four. So it's a 4-4-2. Four, four, so behind Trent and McAllister, they have the zone of four. And in front of them, they have the zone of two. The two attackers, Trent looking to shadow mark them. So receiving outside the block means that Trent Alexander-Arnold is either going on the side of the zones, so he's stretching that block wide, or he's either going in front of the front block and essentially acting as a, a third centre-back or, or sort of a third-man player. Is, is how he's basically playing. And the reason this is so much more effective than him receiving with his sort of back to goal or his back to the to the block is because when he receives it outside the block, he is facing Liverpool's goal usually. And he has a bit more time and a bit more sort of a, a better vantage point to exercise his vision. And we know his vision is world class. That's why, in my opinion, Trent receiving outside the block is so much better. Um, but... At times, Trent wouldn't even be in the block. Trent wouldn't even be in that second midfield position. At times, he was at the top of the box midfield. And so, just to remind everyone of, the, of this principle of a box midfield, is that it's essentially, think of it, yeah, literally think of it as a box. The 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 bottom bottom side of the box is McAllister and Trent, and the top side of the box is um, Soboslai and Gravenberch, in this case. At times, yes, so Soboslai would code come into the, the bottom bottom line of the box to support McAllister, and Trent will go take his position at the top line of the box. That's versatility all of a sudden. Because we know Dominic Sobosla is great in build-up. There's been a plethora of times with Leipzig, um, when I did my research for him before I joined Liverpool, there's been a plethora of times even this season for Liverpool where he's dropped deep to start that build-up, to minimise those distances, to help Liverpool sort of um, be a bit more coherent rather than just playing these di- direct ping-pong style of football. Um... And yes, at times he was in the build-up phase and, McCall- and Trent would go into the, the top of the build-up. And at times even McAllister would go into the top of the box and Trent and Sobosly would handle the, the build-up phase. So there is a bit more advancement. There is a bit more versatility. And it just, I think, shows the flair and the technical prowess um, that Liverpool have in their midfield. I also thought that Diogo Jota's performance yesterday was very good. His dribbling, uh, as I talked about earlier, was great. He was he was running at the defense. He was drawing players out. Um, he was tough to stop. He was difficult to stop. He was, he, he ensured that he was um, a, quite a physically challenging attacker to to defend for the Everton defenders. But what I was most impressed by by Diego Jota's play yesterday was in fact 
how he became essentially a link-up outlet. At times, he would be the one that would drop into midfield like Cody Gagpo would. He would collect the ball, pass it off, then go. And that's the sort of link-up play that just... It takes Liverpool to that third, that second dimension. It, it just... it it really transcends the way they play because then they become so hard to defend like what do you do at that stage you can't have your midfield block you can't have a press to then defend Liverpool because there are overloads everywhere there's people dropping back um linking up off to the wingers and the wingers boom, then make the magic happen so I, I thought that was a major part of Diego Jota's success yesterday just how good of an outlet he was in link up um so yeah l- let's talk about the sort of the major part of the game, which is obviously the red card. Yep, so Ashley Young's red card, obviously a deserved red card for me. I don't think there's any, any debate there. Um, the second challenge was just a very dumb, dumb challenge. It, it should have never happened. I, I don't know why he's sliding in. I don't know why he's going to ground, especially near his own box. And that too, when he's already on a yellow card, it, it doesn't really make sense. But yeah, it happened around the 35th minute. So initially, in the remaining 10 minutes of the first half, Everton switched to a, a 4-4-1 out of possession. What uh, Sean Dyche essentially did is he took um, James Garner from the midfield into the right-back position when Ashley Young had got the red card, and then Ducure jumped into his position in central midfield rather than playing that second forward or that supporting forward. Um, and then Dominic Calvert-Lewin was essentially left isolated uh, as the sole forward. What I didn't like about how Liverpool reacted to the red card in those remaining 10 minutes of the first half was the intensity and the pace of their football. I'm not telling them to play so rapid that they can constantly lose a ball and they constantly, I don't know, just play this ping-pong back-and-forth style of football where no one has control of the ball. But I think you need to run more at Everton. I think you need to definitely disperse the ball quicker. And I think there just needs to be a, uh, a greater intensity when you're going against 10 men. Um... It can be misleading at times. You don't want to be so intense in the sense that where you, you're getting frustrated and you're being impatient and you're not actually taking time with your, your build-up phase and, and then your second phase and then your final phase because it's important. You, you're, you're patient. You're finding the right options. But you can do that with a higher intensity. And I, 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 I don't think Liverpool did that. And especially it's important to do that straight away when a team has got a red card because there's still one, perhaps seething over the red card decision. In this case, probably not two, they're probably still in a, in, a, in a sense of shock, worrying, panicking a bit. And three, they're probably still getting the organizational principles together. P- players are probably still um, finding their feet to adjust to the new roles um, in the system post 10 men. So that's when you really go at them. Because if you concede one, if they concede one goal early with 10 men, you've essentially got the game then. Because that, that doesn't help their mentality when they're 1-0 down with 10 men. And then they've got to go chase the game. It becomes very difficult for them. So, um, yeah, I, I just wasn't happy that Liverpool didn't move the ball with pace, drive the drive of the defence. Um, and there were a lot of long shots towards the end of that first half. And it almost felt like a relief for Everton. I, I think the long shots were just, yeah, no, sort of a sigh of relief. And I, I get the people who are taking the long shots are, are freaks. Dominic Sobosly is a freak at a long shot. Trent Azan is a freak at a long shot. So, fair enough. But at times, I felt like the pace should have been pushed, is essentially what I felt like. But yeah, after halftime, Everton essentially switched into a 5-3-1. They, they subbed on Patterson and Keane, um, and they took off the wide attackers. They took off Garner. Um, sorry, they took off Harrison, and they took off Dwight McNeil. Um, 
And it was a smart ploy from, from Sean Dyche because I think um, with the 5-3-1, Everton became a bit more, obviously, defensively secure, but they also became a bit more sort of wider in what they covered in terms of defense. Like they, they covered the wider spaces a bit better with a back five than obviously a back four because they're that extra defender. Um, and that makes sense because as discussed earlier, a lot of Liverpool's non-transitional plays came from the wider outlets, the wider overlaps, because that's the way they thought that they could break down Everton's, um, Everton's block. And I, I thought with, with Liverpool, um, look, it wasn't awful. Uh, I, it wasn't awful for the for the first 20 minutes of the second half until the substitutions came, but it wasn't great either. And I think I'm going to come back to sort of rhythm and, and tempo. Because it, it just felt a bit, um, I think once again, it just felt a bit too slow. In that in that second half, um, and I, I to an extent I empathise with the players because that block became low. There were five of them in defence as well. There were three of them in midfield, and Calvert Lewin would track back at times as well. So it was it was very difficult to break them down. Um, but I think that's when side to side, quick running at the defenders, drawing some men out, um, maybe even pinging crosses in, uh, cross after cross, and going back to that typical sort of Simicas, Trent. Um, fullbacks whipping in the crosses, just I think changing something up and and, and sort of um, intensifying the rhythm of the game is I think what helps uh, helps a, a team because you can't always play it with a with a intense rhythm. You can't always play at fast pace because then you become then you become probably what the issues Luba had against Chelsea. You're just playing no, you have no control uh, of the game, and then a team like Liverpool wants control uh, of the game. So a slow game state, a game state where they're just playing around, like Liverpool did against um, uh, USG in the Europa League, Union Saint-Gilou. Um, that's fine. That, that was a game where they basically barely ever got out of second gear, barely even got out of first gear, maybe. And sometimes that's fine. You're just grinding at the result. And, and yesterday, I, I think it was a product of the game state of Everton having 10 men and going to such a low block. But as I said, I think a, a bit more could have could have happened. A bit more could have happened in those first 20 minutes of that second half. Um, before Klopp's substitutions came, and then Jurgen Klopp's substitutions came, and those substitutions were very interesting. Uh, Simikas and Gravenberch came off for Elliot and Nunez, and I thought Gravenberch did pretty well. Um, I, I thought once again he just showed a bit more, uh, a bit of flair in midfield. Um, out of possession, I, I think I'm still a bit worried about him. Sometimes he does get caught out, and I think Curtis Jones provides that enhanced security out of possession, 100%. Um, but yeah, what happened when um, Simicast and Gravenberch came off, Elliot and Nunez, out of possession, essentially, Luis Diaz went into the left-back position. But what Klopp did is, obviously, Harvey Elliott likes to play on the, on the right mid, um, on the right side of midfield. That's pretty fair. So Sabasai was always going to move to the left side of midfield. But the added bonus of having Sabasai move to the left side of midfield is, as we discussed earlier, his work rate and how adept he is at stopping those transitions, how adept he is at, at reading those counterattacks, how great he is at shadow marking. So what it does, it gives Luis Diaz that support in a position that he is foreign to. And obviously, Everton didn't really have any wide outlets, so Luis Diaz, and Luis Diaz was probably going to be fine because Everton were going to be doing the bulk of the defending, and when they were attacking, they were usually going pretty direct into, into Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, and then in attack... 
the extra attacker of, of Nunez and still keeping Jota, Diaz, Salah all in there was just a ploy to create different patterns, um, different positional frameworks and essentially try to create overloads. He was just um, just saying to the attackers, just go with the defense, um, occupy the positions you need to occupy and just go with the defense. Um, and in that sense, the, the left side of Liverpool's attack in the last sort of 25 minutes of the match post those substitutions was probably the closest it is to sort of uh, relational football, um, if we were to call it that, that sort of um, Denise style of football. Um, uh, I play, obviously, when I say that. It was nowhere near Denise style of football. But yeah, it was uh, a semblance of relational football, I guess you would say. Nunez, Diaz, Jota, they would all take the left-wing spot at some stage. They would all take the forward spot at some stage. Um, well, the right side was, was, was roughly stagnant. Salah, Trent, um, Elliot continued to operate down there. But yeah, essentially the, 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 the ploy was to just overload and just overwhelm Everton with the amount of bodies and the amount of combinations that there were. Um, and in the end, I, I, I guess they did because Luis Diaz down that left-hand side got that penalty, um, and which led to the first goal. I think it was a penalty. Um, I think the handball rule is quite vague, quite, quite imprecise. It's, it's quite subjective. It's quite... Um, it's quite situational, um, and I think a, a job of establishing great precedent for the handball rule has never been done effectively in ever since it has sort of been modified in football. But I think if that yesterday isn't a handball, then you're struggling to ever give a handball because the arm was outside, way past sort of a natural arc. It hit. It hit it sort of bang on, and obviously the argument is close proximity that he couldn't really control it, but. That is the handball rule for me. Like, I, I think there are very rare, rare cases and very anomalous cases where someone actually deliberately handballs it. Usually it is unintentional, but if it happens, it happens. It's just bad luck. But the penalty has to be given, in my opinion. I think yesterday the right decision was made, obviously with Konate, that second yellow card. Probably was a second yellow card, yeah, and that is the inconsistency in refereeing, and that, that's the frustration Liverpool had against Spurs, and that's the frustration that Everton had yesterday. Um, but yeah, even coming to the second goal, uh, that pass from McAllister Nunez was a, was a brilliant pass, um, and Nunez, wow, how well has Nunez developed as a player? Kudos to Liverpool coaching staff, kudos to Marcelo Bielsa, who Nunez himself has admitted to having a big part in his development as a player. So kudos to the Uruguayan coaching staff as well. His hold-up play, his 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 passing, his dribbling, his control, essentially. We, we all said he was raw. Now he's becoming more all-round because he clearly has the skill set to be a world-beater. That's how good Darwin Nunez is. And yesterday, once again, I, I thought that this was great. And obviously, Mohamed Salah, the imperialist Mohamed Salah, who actually had a, not a great game. I, I thought the Ukrainian defender held him and handled, handled him very well. Turning some press pocket in him. Um, but he got the two goals. He was a difference maker. And Liverpool did win 2-0. Um, in terms of analysing performances, I think the main analysis of the performance I have to put onto is is Virgil van Dijk. As I contextualised at the start of this episode, van Dijk versus DCL, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, was going to be a major, major battle. Just because of how long ball oriented, how direct into Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Everton Hall. I think Everton could have done more of that with when they had 11 men because usually um when i was watching their games against luton and watching the games against brentford to sort of preview and, and grab some context going to this clash they had their fullback crossing into calvert lewin quite a bit against liverpool they weren't bold enough to get their fullbacks up and i would like to see a bit more of it even a few times because it just adds another dimension to that play and uh, in fact i think the first 
the, the header that Calvert-Lewin got off in like the first 30 seconds of the first minute of the game, that came from a wide, wide source. I, I don't think it was a fullback. It might have been Dwight McNeil. Um, but it just adds another layer, as I said. Um, but Van Dyke did a brilliant job. He won 10 out of 15 of the aerial duels. Canate didn't even win 50% of his aerial duels. And he obviously had some um, discipline trouble with the with the yellow cards. Um, Van Dyke just commanded the space brilliantly. So whenever Liverpool really pushed both the fullbacks up and just had two, two men back, um, there was really no issue there in, in transition. It was just an imperious man-marking assignment that Virgil van Dijk is just so accustomed to deliver. Yes, his level probably went away for a season there post-injury, but he's getting back to world-class levels, and Virgil van Dijk is still one of the best defenders in the world for me. Is he the level that he was pre-ACL? Is he the level that he was when Liverpool were winning league titles? Um... Uh, with absolute dominance, winning winning Champions League, contending for Champions League? Probably not, no, I, I don't think he is. But he is still, as I said, world-class in, in this current space. I still think he is as good as there is, um, especially when you are when you give him a man-marking assignment. Um, I think Haaland at Anfield last year was a great display that he had. It's just something that I remember on the top of my head. And yesterday, once again, the Merseyside derby, he was brilliant. To sort of sum up Liverpool's performance, it wasn't peak, pristine Liverpool, but I think it was controlled Liverpool. I think they did what was needed to get the result, um, and I think Jurgen Klopp's, Jurgen Klopp's quote in the post-match interview um, summarised it perfectly. He, and I'll, I'll read it verbatim. When we are not flying, we still have to win. Exactly. In a game like the Merseyside derby that is so physical, lacks rhythm. Add on top of that, the game state of this particular match, because of the 10 men and the lower block and the very defensive style that Everton played post 10 men, it becomes very hard to play the peak, sort of direct, free-flowing, rhythmic, um, quick Liverpool style of football. It becomes very hard to create that sort of bundle of energy and that chaos and that running everywhere. It becomes completely difficult. So then you just have to grind out that result. You have to figure out a way to grind out that result because in the grand scheme of things, the three points is, is what matters, especially in a match like this where must win is the only option. Um, and must win they did. They, they, they won. They got the three points and they're, they're close to the top of the Premier League. Obviously when Arsenal dropped points at Chelsea yesterday, so they're tied with Arsenal City with the point ahead and Spurs with the opportunity to stay top of the Premier League if they get their business starting as Fulham on the on the Monday night football match. Premier League's interesting this season and I, I've still got hope for Liverpool and the trajectory. In fact, I'm very optimistic with the trajectory they're taking. There are still issues. There are still quite a few teething issues, but there are quite a few positives and this is a much more developed and enhanced Liverpool side compared to last year. Liverpool fans stay optimistic um, and just stay tuned because the main Sportsman podcast will be back later this week where we'll discuss all things football. We'll break down some of the best matches around around, around the world. Um, so I'm talking Arsenal, Chelsea, probably Sevilla, Real Madrid. Um, probably look at some of the Bundesliga, Serie A matches. I think we've got AC Milan, Juventus on, um, if I'm not wrong. Uh, we'll look at some of the Cricket World Cup stuff because that is the main Sportsman podcast where we discuss all sports things. We'll look at UFC 294 potentially. Lots to come. And um, the Liverpool Europa League breakdown will also be coming as well. Stay tuned. Hope you enjoyed this episode. See you soon. Thank you.